The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, on this August the 9th, 2016. I do like to remind you each and every week that I write a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and indeed people are now finding that to be a much more interesting newsletter in that we're making some money again, and uh, I'll get to that a little bit later, quite a a lot of money in some cases with the the exploration stocks. So uh, go to miningstocks.com to learn more about my newsletter as well as uh, my partner Chen Lin's newsletter, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? miningstocks.com or call our office directly to subscribe at 718-457-1426 718-457-1426 during normal work hours in New York I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel. Also, encourage you to send your questions and comments along to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questions for Taylor at gmail.com. I do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. And just to give you an idea how well the industry, the exploration industry is doing, I'm going to tell you about our sponsors and how much their shares have gone up since the first of this year. Brazil resources up 519%. Coral gold resources up 513%. RN resources up 261%. New Legacy Gold Corp up 200%, Columbus Gold up 133%, and Trimetals Mining up 112%. All of those are sponsors. We'll be hearing from the CEOs of those companies uh, in the weeks to come. This program has been in existence now, turning hard times into good times, for more than seven and a half years. It started 386 weeks ago on March 24, 2009, at the depths of the financial crisis. It was a seizing up of the financial system that struck fear in the hearts of everyone, but most of all, it struck fear in the hearts of the rich and the super rich because they had the most to lose. And so, to protect their interest, those folks used their ownership of the federal government and that, what I think is a criminal institution called the Federal Reserve Bank, to avoid prosecution for their criminal behavior and to force an unwitting middle class to pay for the sins of the rich and the powerful. 
the massive manipulation of the markets to rob the middle class and redistribute income into the banking system has resulted in the continuation of an enormous amount of reallocation of wealth to the top one-tenth of one percent of the population. And that started really, at first, very slowly, to be sure. But back with President Nixon in 1971, when he removed gold from the monetary system, the massive money printing that followed that, removing and followed that discipline on the monetary system, bought time for the rich and the powerful in 2008-2009. But at the same time, the middle class continued its decline. The problem is, with all of this, nothing has been fixed. If anything, the financial system is more in danger now than it was in 2008-2009 when this radio program began. The political system is not only rigged by the rich and the powerful, but the masses of people are kept in the dark by a media that hides the truth. And if you believe that our political elections are not rigged, then I do have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. The stated goal of this show has always been threefold. First, to understand the basis for the crisis of 2008-2009 and other problems faced in America, including terrorism that is increasingly intruding into America and other Western countries. Secondly, to use an understanding of the real causes of our problems to prepare as best we can for the safety of our loved ones and our families. And lastly, to the extent possible, educate other people about the real causes of our national decline and to get people to vote for government officials accordingly. With regard to the first goal, I like to think this program has played at least a small role in helping people understand the root cause of our financial decline and the growing hatred of America throughout the world. With respect to the second goal, uh, myself and many, if not most, of the guests on this show have urged you to exchange the fraudulent U.S. dollar that we are forced to use at the point of a gun for gold. The system, from an understanding uh, that the Federal Reserve and its shareholders, the money center banks in, the, in America and Europe, are in effect stealing the wealth from the country by diluting the value of the dollar. And about the time this show was starting in March of 2009, the process of the Fed and other central banks creating trillions of dollars out of thin air was just starting uh, to escalate very rapidly. With the creation of this fraudulent money, the system bought some time with a great deal of con artistry and the counterfeit money. The mainstream convinced people that selling gold and owning stocks and bonds was a great idea. So between 2011 and the start of this year, gold had been in a bear market. But indeed, nothing was fixed. As I say, in fact, the system is more shaky and more highly leveraged with debt now than it was back in 2008-2009. But eventually, Pinocchio's nose can no longer be hidden. So after about five years of bear markets for gold following a 10-year bull market, gold is now once again starting to rise. And it is my strongly held view that we are in the very early days of a major rise in the price of gold. So getting back to the second goal of this program, namely to help listeners prepare for the carnage that lies ahead, how have we done? Well, gold was selling at $923 on March 24, 2009. Today, gold is selling at a price that is 46% higher than when we began this show, as more and more mainstream types and major head fund managers with greater information about the system than I have are opting out of paper assets like stocks and bonds, and they're buying gold and other tangible assets. 
So my conscience is completely clean with regard to the first two goals of this show, namely to make people aware of the underlying pathology of our government and the financial system that it is forced on us and to help people protect their wealth against the establishment thieves. Indeed, uh, I have seldom been more optimistic about the upside for gold shares and in particular gold exploration companies than I am right now. I, I now have two stocks in my uh, newsletter, for example, that are up more than 1,000% this year. Our Vista and Silvercrest Metals both became 10 baggers. But there are a, a, a lot of other very good prospects that uh, have not yet begun to move. And I will be highlighting a few of them in my weekly newsletter this coming weekend. And I hope that you will consider subscribing. Go to miningstocks.com to pick up uh, a subscription in my letter. A, a three-month subscription is a measly $69. I think you would find it of good value. Uh, there Also, to go to miningstocks.com, there's some uh, content there that I think you'll find very interesting uh, along the lines of what this uh, this program is all about. There's important news events for the stocks that I cover in my newsletter, so you can get an idea of which stocks I am focused on. But there's also some very important non-mainstream economic geopolitical articles from places like Zero Hedge, DollarCollapse.com, William Angdahl, many other places. Mining stocks has become, I believe, and what I'm trying to make it is into is a one-stop shopping place for the same kind of ideas that are expressed on this show. So go to miningstocks.com, please, uh, and check it out. With respect to the last goal of this show, namely to try to impact the way people vote based on the truth as opposed to government propaganda, I realize that given the size of that task, any positive impact this show may have had is virtually impossible to measure. But what I have also figured out for myself personally is that what we re- what really matters is that I live my life in a way that positively impacts those around me providing for our families by understanding that the pathology deep inside our body politic is just one of the things that I need to do I think we all need to do but more importantly we need to live our lives that are not only moral and upright but that are a positive lights in our communities encourage good behavior discourage bad behavior. Well, one book that I've recently read that I've found most helpful to me personally and one that I highly recommend is called, it's titled The Rhythm of Life by Matthew Kelly. And I have uh, read many books and many have had many guests on this show who have helped me understand the causes of our political and economic woes, but I have not read a book outside of the Bible that has helped me more personally uh, in gaining and helping to put my own Uh, Life in Order, The Rhythm of Life by Matthew Kelly is highly recommended. In the end, uh, that is all that we need to do most is put our own lives in order and so that we can be an influence, a positive influence on those around us. Well, that leads me uh, to to the title of today's show, How Economic Hedonism is Leading America to Enslavement. The Reverend Larry Bean uh, II, Jeff Dice, and Michael Oliver are this week's guests. Hedonism is defined as the ethical theory that sensual pleasure is the highest good and proper aim of human life. Well, I'm basing today's show on a piece written by Jeff Dice, the president of the Mises Institute, formerly Ron Paul's chief of staff. The article is titled, Economic Hedonism, How Congress and the Fed... Uh, mortgage the future. Um, Like the Israelites of the Prophet Samuel's days, the Western world is relinquishing personal liberty that results in personal and national genius in exchange for security and hedonistic pleasure. Well, I hope to have uh, 
Pastor Bean, help us connect the dots between the demise of our Judeo-Christian heritage and the growing spiritual and material enslavement of the West, and that is uh, the lo- that is leading really to our loss of liberty. But all three of our guests will point out that there is some reason for hope. Indeed, a short-term material point of view. From that point of view, uh, Michael Oliver has been offering some encouraging ideas that I think may well be in sync with Jeff Dice's thoughts as well. We'll, we'll find out from Jeff and from uh, from Michael. In fact, we're going to come right back with Michael. We have to go to break now. And when we come back, Michael Oliver will be with us to talk about some of the important uh, markets that he always talks about. He's done such a remarkable job uh, in, with his work in helping us understand where we need to be in the market. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Oliver. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network foreign resources is a canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship committee bay project located in northern canada one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world the company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over eight grams per ton Orin is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. Brazil Resources Incorporated is developing projects with a total of 10 million ounces of gold resources. These acquisitions were made at discounted prices during the recent commodities market downturn. The company is a go-to name for leverage to the rising gold price among institutions and analysts. It is also exploring the highly prospective Rea Uranium project with JV partner Arriva in the western Athabasca Basin. Get to know this exciting company now by visiting brazilresources.com. TSXV, BRI, OTCQX, BRIZF. Coral Gold is an experienced precious metals explorer. Coral recently sold its flagship Robertson Gold property in Crescent Valley, Nevada to Barrick for $20 million and a royalty that increases with the price of gold. Coral is now refining its vision and focus for gold exploration in Nevada with over $20 million in cash, a favorable share structure, and three gold properties in the Crescent Valley region near Barracks Cortez Pipeline Operation. Coral is well positioned to pursue a number of growth opportunities now under consideration by management. Coral trades as CLH on the TSX Venture Exchange. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me, uh, almost as I do almost every week, Michael Oliver. Michael Oliver is with me more than any other one individual. 
uh, usually not for protracted periods of time, but very frequently because I so much admire and have valued his work because I found it to be so useful and helpful to me as an investor. So uh, welcome, Michael. Thanks for being with me again. I'm glad to be back, Jay. Thank you very much, and I want to tell our listeners, for those of you who have not jotted this down already, it's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com to learn more about Michael's work. Well, Michael, you you have been uh, paying very close attention to the potential for a blow-off in the U.S. T-bond, and you've also been watching the the German Bund and the the Japanese long-dated bond as well. what are your thoughts on those now? I, I saw the, it, it, your weekend report, if I understood it correctly, the uh, JGB, the Japanese long bond, has really uh, looks like it's looks like it's breaking down. Do I have that right? Are we are we at a major sea change for the JGB? Yeah, no, I'm I'm watching all three, like three guys are in the lineup, okay, and they're all linked together. I know they are. Now, admittedly, the 30-year T-bond is a maturity that's uh, much longer than the 10-year bond and the 10-year JGB. So uh-huh. I also looked at the 10-year T-note, uh, and I ran that in the weekend report. But I get the, the, there is a consensus there, and one is that yields were driving lower, uh, absurdly lower. In our case, not below zero, but in the case of JGB, below zero. In the case of the bond, below zero. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that can't continue, okay? And that, in price, that converts to upside, okay? But the, the bond price mm-hmm. is rising, the yields are dropping. But in the case of JGB in the U.S. market in particular, it's been a blow-off, meaning you've been in a tube, so to speak, on a price chart, and you've gone through the top of the tube. Like you've squeezed it so much, you just went whoop, right through the top. Meaning the <laughs> resistance that used to define the angle of the rise of that market got blown away. Mm-hmm. So now you're in a panic upside mode. Now, the problem with that is, historically, with I don't care what market it is, price of eggs, price of gold, whatever, anything, when you do that after a protracted bull market, that means you're at the end of the bull market. You're in the blow-off. And when the blow-off ends, you roll over, but you don't roll over gently, you collapse. Okay, so that's the first observation and statement. The JGB, I'm watching all these markets on both an intermediate-term basis on a long-term basis, using annual momentum for long-term and some lesser indicators for short for the intermediate term. The JGB has dropped sharply recently, meaning rates have risen uh, from sub-zero to almost up to zero rates. A very sharp rise, sudden shocking rise, in fact, when you look at the JGB. That has not happened in the T-bond yet, nor in the uh, German Bund. Therefore, and if I'm looking for consensus, I don't have it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm looking for the intermediate downturn in all of them, and when I see that, then I'll get on edge for the potential for long-term downturn, meaning that the blow-off is over, we're headed for the collapse, meaning rates are going to rise sharply at that point. Right now, I don't have that consensus. It will happen. It's just an issue now of timing. Um, but in some other markets, uh, there are also some other markets that are on edge as well, and I find that there's so many things on edge right now I emphasize that word, that it seems to me like there's something going to happen. I don't mean an event necessarily, but at least a market-type event. Mm -hmm. Um, I see it in the euro. The euro surged up recently to 112.50 last week, back up a bit. If it goes back to 112.50 again, I think it's going to take another leap upward toward that 115 area. And if it does that, it's gone. I think it'll take off, go up into the 120s. That will vastly upset the dollar. Okay, That's one market to watch. Now the dollar. Uh, 
the GDX is very interesting, the gold mining ETF that I watch, that I focus on, which is the not doing as well as, as your picks. It's up 1,000%, but it's up 130 140% on the year. And it, it has the name, uh, the main gold miners and silver miners in it, an unleveraged ETF. Uh, it's trading now just short of 31. It started mm-hmm. the year at about 13-something. Okay, so wow. quite, a, quite a good year. Okay. Yes. If it trades up to about 32 and a half this week, or somewhat over 33 next week, I think it's going to explode. Uh, and by explode, I mean go up to a target that I've had all year long, and that is r- roughly around 39. Now, again, we're below 31 right now, and I'm saying we go to 39. That's a big, that's 26% move yeah, from sure. where we are right now. I think that could occur rapidly. Now, when I look at what's going on in the debt markets, I see the S&P doing some things that indicate to me that it might be running out of gas here and ready to pull the rug out from under those who believed that the new highs meant something. A lot of things are are sort of gelling at the same time and with itchy trigger fingers. (laughs) So I'm seeing too many of these, and therefore this chorus has got me itchy. It's got me a sense that... Something is uh, on edge here, and we might get some very nice violent market action soon across mm. the board, across asset yeah. classes. Right, and one of these, uh, as, as you call them, major plate tectonics, uh, major plates that are spinning and moving, mm. and you know, like uh, very much, I, I, I like to think of it like the geological plates, the continental plates that move very, very slowly, maybe an inch a year or something like that. Uh, and you don't necessarily see them. You don't see what's going on. But when they finally well, reach a certain the threshold, then <laughs> yeah. you get a threshold, and suddenly, boom, they're there. That reminds me of the picture you had of this uh, of these prices going up in a tube at a blow-off phase, and then. But Michael, really, when you think about it, what would uh, I mean? What would a one percent increase do in the long bond now? I mean, that sounds ridiculous. We should be worried about a one or two percent rise well, I think 2% in the long bond. Right now, we're toying with, we're above the 30-year, the 30-year U.S. now. We're talking, yeah. it's like uh, yes. 2.1, 2.15, something on that order. It may get under 2 okay, uh-huh. in, in this upside. That would require it go to a new high, and it might do that. Uh, yeah. Maybe the blow-off is not over yet. I cannot write mm-hmm. off the fact that maybe the upside spike is not through spiking. Mm-hmm. I don't think it has a lot of time left, a month or two at most, uh, if that much. Um, but I could easily see when it turns down from that orgy on the upside in price, that yield could go to 4% rapidly. Now, from something around 2 to something around 4 is a shock. And, oh, my uh, goodness. Other, other, well, that's the U.S. market. Now, you know, yeah. God knows what's going to happen to Italy. Yeah. Yeah, okay, uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, the fact that yeah. some of those uh, some some of those lesser countries, the Southern European countries, have such low rates. I mean, it just it just occurs to me that if we have something like a two to four percent rise in the long bond, it's just going to have earth shattering of impact on such a globally leveraged economy wow. that's become addicted to cheap and free money and even money that they pay you to take. It's incredible. And yeah, well, never in the last few days, it's incredible to see the Italian yield drop. While the German yield rises, huh. now, that doesn't happen. Those aren't market forces at work. No, Estragi, of course not. Estragi at work. He's yeah. trying to keep that Italian yield down, and it, it's it's insanity. And uh, I mean, the Italian yields like you know, in the ten years, like one percent or something. And it, it's it's 
in the JGB is uptick, I mean, excuse me, the German Bund is upticking the yield over the last few days while the Italian has been dropping, which means Draghi is really concerned. He's, he's buying those Italian bonds yeah. to support them. Uh, and he's panicked. And, you know, there's banking situations there we know about. Yes. There's also some political rumblings going on there. Uh, because mm-hmm. the you know the prime minister of Italy is not exactly pleased with some of the rules and regs uh, regarding the banking situation. Yes, yes. Uh, so it's getting very interesting. Well, it it is indeed very interesting, and and what just dumbfounds me is the fact that the policymakers don't seem to think there's any repercussions to defying the natural laws of the markets, and so, uh, you know, the the misallocation of of capital and so forth. Well, not even allowing capital to to uh, have price recognition, of course, is what this is all right. about. With just another minute left here or two, um, what you know, you were talking about the gold. Uh, shares and uh, the gold, the bullion itself. How how is that looking? You're still I, looking still at the high the upper fourteen hundred. I, I still think gold is a laggard to the gold miners this time uh-huh. around, which is mm-hmm. new for the last ten years. Yes. Uh, I think gold still has a target zone of fourteen seventy to fifteen forty, which is far less percent gain than, for example, the GDX going from below thirty one to thirty nine. Yeah. Uh, and at that point, I'd have to reassess, not not for a major downturn, but for a correction or a congestion or something of that sort. Right now, I'm mm-hmm. taking it in phases. I think the gold's in, in the first leg of a major multi-leg bull market. So we're not talking about the end of a bull market, even if we get to the 1470, 1540. We're talking about a, a problem zone, you know, the way mm-hmm. you might want to da- do a dance step and step mm-hmm. aside for a bit and buy a dip, that type of thing. Yeah, right. Well, we'll uh, we'll we'll certainly look forward to having you on to help us uh, foresee that, Michael. You've been so good and so helpful to us uh, over the last uh, couple, three, four years that we've been talking to you, and I really appreciate you coming on with us again. Again, folks, it's uh, OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com to learn more about Michael's work. Thanks so much for being with us, Michael. Always a pleasure, and look to do it again next week, hopefully. And thank you, Jay. Bye-bye. All right. All right, folks. Well, uh, we do have to go to commercial break, but don't go away because coming back, we're going to have Jeff Dice, the president of the Mises Institute, and the Reverend Larry Bean with us to talk about how economic hedonism is leading America uh, down the wrong path into um, what I believe is slavery and impoverishment. Unfortunately, there are repercussions to our behavior sometimes, and we need to be aware of that. So we're going to look to Jeff Dice and Reverend Bean to help us understand and gain some insights into uh, how we've gotten to where we are uh, thanks to economic hedonism. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Trimetals Mining is a growth-focused mineral exploration company creating value through the exploration and development of its 100% owned near-surface Gold Springs Gold Silver Project in mining-friendly Nevada and Utah. Trimetals has only drilled less than 10% of the gold targets at Gold Springs, and it already has a robust preliminary economic assessment. Trimetals believes there is a significant potential to increase the gold mineral resource through further drilling. Trimetals shares are listed on the OTCQX and the TSX under symbols TMIAF and TMI respectively. Brazil Resources Incorporated is developing projects with a total of 10 million ounces of gold resources. 
These acquisitions were made at discounted prices during the recent commodities market downturn. The company is a go-to name for leverage to the rising gold price among institutions and analysts. It is also exploring the highly prospective Rhea Uranium Project with JV partner Arriva in the western Athabasca Basin. Get to know this exciting company now by visiting brazilresources.com. TSXV, BRI, OTCQX, BRIZF. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, I am uh, happy to be with you again. Uh, I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me the Reverend Larry Bean, the uh, second. And uh, Jeff Dice is supposed to be with us. We're having some technical difficulties getting connected with Jeff, but uh, he should be with us uh, momentarily, hopefully. But in any event, uh, we'll have more than enough to talk about with uh, Reverend Bean. Uh, you all know Jeff Dice. He's been a, a frequent guest on this show. Uh, Reverend Bean, this is his first time with us. He is a Lutheran pastor, Missouri Synod. That is the, uh, the same church body that I'm a member of. Uh, Larry Bean's uh, church is in uh, New Orleans. It, it's the Salem Lutheran Church. Gretna, Louisiana is where it's located. He is also a teacher at Wittenberg Academy online, and he holds a Master's of Divinity degree from Concordia Theological Seminary and an undergraduate degree in history from Thomas Edison State University. And uh, he blogs, a very interesting blog um, spot, it's it's fatherhollywood.blogspot.com, where you can go to read uh, some of his material there. One of his uh, sermons that I looked at recently, I found very, very interesting, um, and a very uh, enlightening in many ways. And he's also involved uh, in another website, goddessonlineblogspot.com. Uh, and so I, I hope that you'll go to some of these websites to check out Larry's work. It's very, really very interesting. And uh, he uh, has been married for 22 years and has an 11-year-old son, Leonidas. Um, and uh, he says they also have several failing friends as well. So uh, they, they they like cats, apparently. Well, welcome. Uh, thank you, uh, Larry Bean, for joining me today. Thank you, Jay. It's a real privilege. Really uh, wonderful to have you with us. And maybe Jeff will come back. Uh, I know that you you know Jeff. Uh, I, I know he considers you to be a friend. And uh, you have been involved. I did, I did fail to mention that you have also... Uh, been involved with Lou Rockwell. You, that is, you've written some articles that have been posted at LouRockwell.com, I should say. Uh, and uh, so you're as a you know a unique individual that I wanted to talk to. In large part, uh, first of all, I'm a Missouri Synod Lutheran. Also, uh, I don't find too many Lutheran pastors who are also of a libertarian um, mindset. So that was I found that very interesting. And of course, I first learned about you from Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. And Daniel, I think, sat on a panel with you uh, some time ago, and, and he was very impressed 
with you as well, and, and for Daniel, a real strong Catholic to uh, to praise a Lutheran. I thought that was that was pretty good. So, <laughs> in any event, you know, before we get started, uh, if Jeff comes, uh, I hope he does. If he doesn't, we, we'll uh, we'll go on anyway without him. But yeah, I'd like to start out by asking you if you can define um, the term economic uh, hedonism. Well, hedonism, um, and maybe then apply it to economics. Sure. Um, hedonism is, is just, it's sort of a philosophy of life or sort of a theory of human motivation uh, based on the pursuit of pleasure. So a person who is hedonistic, that's what their main motivation or goal is, is to just pursue pleasure sort of at all costs. And it's kind of a, kind of a self-centered, very selfish kind of um, shallow kind of undisciplined lifestyle. Uh, it leads to a low time preference, which is just sort of an economic term for, uh, well, to put it in, uh, in, the, in the words of a Queen song, uh, you know, the great philosopher Freddie Mercury, I want it all, I want it now. I mean, that's basically it, and that's, that's what hedonism is. Um, Jeff's article on economic hedonism I thought was really, really interesting to sort of, uh, to, uh, to, uh, sort of pursue um, hedonism in, a, in an economic sense. I, Jeff may have coined the term, I don't know, but his, mm-hmm. his article dealt with Fed policy, you know, sort of artificially low interest rates and manipulating the money supply. And what this leads to, this kind of low rates and stimulus, it leads to just what we were talking about, a low time preference. It discourages thrift. It, it, it encourages people going into debt and being irresponsible. It's, it's a very undisciplined and shallow kind of approach to the economic life of the country and of the world. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, as the Austrian economists understand, that you're basically not allowing capital, price discovery of capital, uh, so you, uh, you know, you're using capital for pleasure, and st- with, uh, so it's a momentary pr- pleasure. It's it's what feels good now. In the 1960s, I'm older than you, Reverend Bean, but in the 1960s, I can relate to it. Uh, if it feels good, do it was a, was a slogan. So that's what we're talking about. If sure. it feels good, do it. It's it, never mind a, a year or two or five or ten years down the road. Uh, it's what feels good now. Do it right. Well, yeah, and it's it's sort of like if you. Economics is about decisions and about what motivates human decision, human action. So if you have the choice of saving money and putting it away for the future, maybe just in in case your child gets sick, or, hey, I can borrow money for a zero interest or next to a zero interest rate and buy myself a big screen TV that I don't really need. Well, Mm -hmm. by manipulating interest rates and the money supply and the economy that way, it, it, it encourages people to be very hedonistic and to not lay plans for the future and not be prudent, not to invest. You know, maybe instead of buying the, the car, I can get some training and education and, and, and better my family's life. But it, it leads to this low time preference and this sort of squandering of opportunity and this, you know, the destruction of, of, of taking advantage of opportunity costs that could, you know, opportunities that could provide for betterment in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, saving money today for the future, which is a concept that seems to be almost completely lost in this environment. But that's exactly what we did. I mean, 2008, 2009 came along, and so in order to try to, quote-unquote, fix things, they pumped huge amounts of money in the system, dropped the interest rates. They had other programs like the Clunker program, I think, to get people to trade in their cars mm-hmm. uh, for new cars and things like that. They got money for trading in their cars and stuff. I, all kinds of means to try to pull consumption up ahead and try to keep the economic wheels turning a little longer 
uh, with seemingly no regard for the long term, right? Absolutely. I mean, it, it just leads to irresponsibility. You want to train, you know, you want your children to put money away and save it. You don't want them to just spend it all on something they want right now, spontaneously. You know, there's, it, you know, life isn't all one or the other. You don't want people to be misers. You, people, you know, you don't want to train your children to be miserly, but you don't want them to be hedonists either. And if if people are responsible in the way they use their resources, their stewardship of what of what they own. Um, you know, you, you can have a, 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 a well-functioning economy, but if everybody is just living for the moment and it, it, it distorts the economic picture, like you said, and like the Austrian economic theory says, it just, you know, the, the prices get all distorted and, and people who are entrepreneurs and investors can't really make good decisions. It leads to malinvestment and booms and busts and all those horrible things in the economy. Uh, Reverend Bean, help me understand... Um what is a libertarian? Because as I hear you talking, to me, in many ways, I think into many in the minds of many people, libertarians are more akin to the hedonistic mentality than to the kind of thing that the Austrians might be talking about, and and you know, leaving the markets determine the the value of money and so forth, and and the discipline that comes with uh, a truly free market environment. Um, how? I mean, can you reconcile the the notion? I mean, you I believe you subscribe at least to a lot of libertarian ideas. Uh, I think of you as a libertarian, which is you know one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show. Uh, how do you reconcile that with uh, you know many people think the Christian religion the, the Christians are a bunch of killjoys that basically Christians are people who 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 really are just you know they're just kind of either they're stupid and they don't understand. The world they live in, and you know, they 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 just don't. They just need to be educated away from that, or, um, you know, or, or, or what's the matter with them? I mean, and but you know, if you're a libertarian, it seems to me you're more subscribing not to me necessarily, but I think a lot of people think of libertarians as more hedonism, pot smoking, and that sort of thing. How do you? Can you help us understand how you could have a view towards libertarian? Of the libertarian viewpoint, how you might subscribe to it, or at least portions of it, uh, and and still be a, a a Lutheran pastor, Missouri Synod, nonetheless. It's a great question because I think both Christianity and um, libertarianism are terribly misunderstood, and uh, you know what they are. So I, that's that's a fantastic question, and and believe it or not, there are lots of uh, Missouri Synod Lutherans who are becoming uh, quite libertarian in their uh, in their mindset in their um, in their economics and in their sort of philosophical mindset a lot of pastors a lot of lay people I know Molly Ziegler Hemingway from the Federalist um, you know she's not completely libertarian but I know she describes herself as libertarian many of her um, a lot of her writing is very is really quite libertarian so I think there's been mm-hmm. kind of a shift towards that that way of thinking uh, but the bottom line is is that uh, when people hear libertarianism I think they think sometimes libertinism um, like for example you mentioned uh, the drugs uh, you know libertarians advocate legalizing drugs and prostitution for instance and in, in the minds of many people that means that we're advocating for the yeah. <laughs> because we want them to be legal um, and, and here I think is the key um, libertarianism is not a system of ethics um, what it is it, it's it's a it, it examines the question of what is the appropriate use of force in law. So, um, and I'll explain that in a minute, but libertarianism 
accepts this axiom called the non-aggression principle. That it's very simple. It just says it's wrong to aggress against somebody, to use to use or initiate force against someone who's peaceful. So based on that principle, um, that, that lays out when is it appropriate to use force in law, in, in our social mm-hmm. interactions. So to put it in a kind of a religious setting, I, I won't even use Christianity. Let's let, let's say you're um, uh, you're Jewish or you're a Muslim. Um, both of those faith traditions, it's immoral to eat pork. All right. Mm-hmm. So let's say you're a uh, you're Jewish or you're Muslim, and your next door neighbor is eating a BLT in his backyard, and you find this <laughs> terribly immoral, and, and you find it you know it's offensive to you, and maybe you even think that he shouldn't be doing it. So you're free to interact with them. You're free to you know you can scold them if you want, or you can call them to repent, or you can encourage them to embrace your religion, or you could just ignore them or whatever. But what you can't do, you can't throw a brick through his window. Uh, mm-hmm. You can't you know go over and punch him in the face and steal his sandwich, or you can't. And and this is important too. In a libertarian society, you don't get to call the police and have him hauled away in chains and and then put in jail or fined, uh, because those are all forceful responses to something that he's peacefully doing. Uh, just because you're offended doesn't give you the right to use force, you see. So that's really what libertarianism is. It's, it's the idea that not every matter of right and wrong or of morality is going to be settled by force. And when you look at it that way, um, it really makes a lot more sense. And that's why I think you see a lot more Christians. Uh, there are a lot of libertarian Christians, uh, and a lot of some of the really big famous kind of libertarian thinkers are Christians, and I think that's why um, it's not a complete matter of morality. It's really limited to the use of force in law. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think uh, to a great extent, I mean, what we're talking about, the libertarian philosophy is not, uh, doesn't really go against the teachings of Jesus in any way. I mean, Jesus never was a forceful person, and forceful in the sense that he said, you must, and took away the, the option or the choice or the free will, right? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, um, the, the, the ethic of the non-aggression principle, I think, is rooted in Christianity. I mean, I think mm-hmm. libertarianism philosophically flows from Christianity, and I think the reason is this. I think in Christianity, we Christians believe that human beings are created in the image of God, and therefore com- committing an act of violence against a peaceful person is immoral. And we believe it, it, that's where the origin of rights comes from. And it's embedded in the Ten Commandments. Uh, you shall not murder. You shall not steal. You know, in order to live, you have to have property. You have to have clothes and food. And if you take someone else's stuff or you aggress against their person, you're committing, uh, you know, an immoral act. And so I think that that, that philosophy, even unbelievers, you know, people who don't believe in Christianity or subscribe to it, do believe that human beings have rights and that it's wrong to aggress against other people. And I think that's very closely related to Jesus' um, ethical principle of the golden rule, which is actually mm-hmm. found... All in many different religions, and uh, so really, uh, it's really the natural law is what we're talking about. When we're talking about libertarianism and the non-aggression principle, it's the natural law. If you don't want someone to beat you over the head and take your stuff, then you're obliged to not beat someone else over the head and take their stuff. And it's really the only way you can have a civilized society. So that's really why I, I think libertarianism meshes beautifully with Christianity. Yeah, and probably better than we'd think with with the other two major um, religions as well. Um, now, we're, I'm glad to know that Jeff Dice is with us now. So, um, uh, thanks for joining us, Jeff. 
certainly, Jay. Good to hear from you. Oh, good to have you with me. Uh, you know, uh, Reverend Bean was just mentioning the golden rule, and I remember when your boss a few years back uh, mentioned the golden rule at the, uh, the Republican debates, and he was almost booed off the stage. But uh, in, in any event, uh, by the Republicans, nonetheless, these uh, you know supposedly upright Christian Republicans who were uh, thinking there was no place for the golden rule. But in any event, uh, Jeff, you know, yeah, thank you very much for your article that you wrote, and uh, Reverend Bean was talking a little bit about it and complimented you on your insights uh, in that article, and, and we were just talking about how it meshes very well. Uh, Reverend Bean was talking about how it meshes very well with Christianity and uh, the other um, two monotheistic religions. Uh, in your July and August uh, issue, the Austrian uh, where you wrote, and I'd like to just quote a, a part of that, uh, the problem with presidential candidates is not so much what they say and believe, but rather what they don't say and believe behind the lying and dis- uh, dissembling and obfuscation there is a palpable suspension of disbelief. Our would-be political rulers simply ignore or fail to grasp the gravity of our economic situation. Uh, I don't want too much doom and gloom, but Jeff, can you give us a sense of, you know, when I when I turn on CNBC or Bloomberg television and listen to the commentators, and yeah, they acknowledge things aren't really so good as they should be, and so on and so forth. But there's nothing really that grave. There's nothing really that that ominous. Um, talk talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing and what you believe we have ahead of us, possibly. Well, I think it's. It's nice for people to say that to one another, and there is a certain psychology to the marketplace that a lot of uh, what we would call infomercials for the market on, on outlets like CNBC tend to believe that they can talk up a market, and, and they also tend to believe they can talk down a market. But if you really want to know where we are, I would just suggest to anyone listening to go to lourockwell.com today and read a great article there by Jim Rogers. Uh, the great hedge fund investor who years and years ago was partnered with George Soros and became a billionaire. Um, you know, J- Jim Rogers doesn't pull any punches and he lays out uh, some of the structural and fundamental changes that economies really face around the world. But th- that, to me, the greater issue is what is our political class doing about it? Well, what they're doing about it is evading it, ignoring it, worsening it. Um, as Father Bean pointed out, you know, we're, we're caught up in these social issues that really aren't something that the state ought to be controlling. We ought to be uh, uh, forming those rules among, uh, among ourselves as individuals, uh, among our families, with religious counsel, however we do so. And really, it's none of the business of the state what bathroom we're using or, uh, you know, uh, what the uh, racial complexity, uh, uh, the racial makeup of a certain area is. You know, what, what these politicians ought to be worrying about, if they worry about anything, is the real structural economic challenges that we've got out there. And, and all the problems we're talking about can be looked at in the rearview mirror as, as debt that's already been amassed. But if you're looking ahead, if you're looking at where the freight train is speeding, uh, we've got an entitlement gap of over $200 trillion, Jay, between what we've told people uh, we're going to give them down the road in the form of entitlements and what we're likely to bring in in taxes. So um, the, the problem with democratic government and the problem with central banks is that they're both designed to, to ever and always kick this can down the road to create policies, to take actions 
the effects of which are not felt for, for many years or decades or, or sometimes even longer. And so the politicians and central bankers who put them in place are long gone, and it's awfully hard for the average guy or gal in the voting booth to go back and connect the dots and see how things that FDR put in place or LBJ put in place decades ago uh, have now come around to bite us. So uh, p- politics is, is an awfully poor way uh, to organize a society. And from my perspective, uh, Father Bean gave a, a, a definition of libertarianism based on the non-aggression principle, uh, and I like that definition. I would add to it that, to me, a, a libertarian society is one where the great economic and cultural and social issues of the day simply aren't decided by the state. And since so many of ours are, uh, we find ourselves in in the bind that we're in. Well, they certainly weren't meant to be, I, I guess, originally. And I guess the question then would be, why have we strayed away from the, the disciplines that our founding fathers have put in place for us? I mean, I'm thinking first and foremost about the monetary uh, the monetary mechanism uh, was to be, uh, our, our dollar was to be based on a set amount of gold and silver, gold and or silver. Uh, but somehow along the way, um, human nature seems to want to have, want to, I guess, in, engage in, in that issue of hedonism. That is, have, uh, have enjoyment, have pleasure uh, without paying for it or without, um, without, it, without regard to what it might mean in the future. And we were just talking, Jeff, before you joined us, um, uh, Father Bean was talking to us about the definition of hedonism and how that has gotten us into so much trouble. You mentioned debt. $200 trillion worth of debt. I mean, I'm, uh, it seems to me, though, little by little, we've all gotten entrapped into this system. I mean, I am 69 years of age now. I received Social Security. I paid into it. Uh, but there's this notion that we can have something for nothing. Uh, how, did we, how did we get to this place, Jeff? How did, we, how did we get to this place, and how can we climb out of it? Well, in part, we got to it through mass democracy, and partly we got to it through centralization of, of functions of government and banking that ought to be heavily decentralized. Um, in, in the past, we don't have to look that far back, even just 50 or 100 years ago, um, economic problems and, and contagions were much more controlled locally. We had, uh, you know, a different currency in every country. We didn't have uh, um, political maneuvering to create things like the Eurozone. Um, we didn't have a, a global IMF as heavily involved in financial markets. Um, we didn't have the U.S. dollar uh, used quite as, uh, as voluminously as it is today as the world's reserve currency. Um, so what we've done is taken uh, infections from different parts of the world and, and basically um, put them into the stream and you know, made, made them global. So now... Um, if the U.S., God forbid, gets a cold, the whole world is going to get sick because the whole world needs to use our dollars to settle international payments, uh, to buy oil, uh, to do any number of things. So the, the more we federalize, the more we nationalize, the more we internationalize, the more we globalize, uh, the, the more we make these problems systemic ar- around the globe. And, and what we're really doing from both a a national and an individual standpoint is we're trying to offload the costs and consequences of our actions onto others. Um, mm-hmm. you know, welfareism does that at the individual level, um, and and central banks and and Congress do that at the national level. So I truly believe that a libertarian society, which is one with 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 far less or no government, 
mm-hmm. the libertarian society would be far less libertine in all aspects because mm-hmm. it would be harder for both individuals and and politicians to offload the costs of their of their choices onto others. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, well, it seems to me, yeah, we've we've been further and further removed from the decisions that are made, and uh, you know, regulatory bodies in Washington that decide all kinds of things that the people have no say over, whatsoever. But there is this attitude that of of entitlement that seems to have crept in. I mean, I talked to my 93 year old mother, and she lived through the depression, and there, you know, those people they saw responsibility for their own lives. They believed that they were responsible. Uh, maybe, Reverend Bean, you could opine on this, but to what extent, if we've, if, if the policymakers are, let's say, the, um, the elite, uh, the intellectual elite, have been, been successful in separating us from a sense of a, uh, of a supreme being who is a creator, if you will, uh, is that perhaps part of the issue that we're dealing with? In other words, if if we've gotten rid of God or gotten rid of a creator or a supreme being, then don't we have to turn to Caesar for our help? Well, yeah, you know, I think there's something to that. I think it's, it's a, you know, like uh, the old saying, Richard Weaver, that ideas have consequences. I mean, we've lived uh, for the past, well, since 1913, we've had the Federal Reserve. We've had this, uh, the, the ethos is progress, progressivism economically, politically, education, and it's been bombarding us for a hundred years. And, uh, and I think it has led to a, a hedonistic culture. I mean, you know, one, one of the things, if you are a Christian or if you do believe in a deity, it does tend to uh, mitigate against that hedonism because there's something bigger than you that you believe in. We Christians mm-hmm. certainly think in those terms. But if, if you do live in a hedonistic culture, it's fueled by a lot of things. It's complicated. But, but certainly the, progressive, the, the rise of progressivism has really radically changed our culture. Again, it's, it's I want it all, I want it now. And in, in current times, it's almost like we're living the movie Idiocracy. You know, people want, they want it all, they want it now. They don't know and they don't care where it comes from. So I want a big screen TV, I want an iPhone, I want to be able to watch the, the ball game. But I don't understand how, how the TV made it to market or how the iPhone got invented. I don't understand how the players are paid and how, they, you know, how did they get to the stadium. Um, and, and I think we, need, we desperately need education. Um, we need to break through this idea that everything could be free. That's, you know, that's just, that's not logical. That makes no sense. And when people can see, um, when they see where, you know, how an economy works or how businesses work, how businesses work, that, that mitigates against some of that hedonism. And it makes, it, it gives people the incentive to plan ahead and to be more disciplined mm-hmm. in the way they live their life. And again, it, with a lot less hedonism. So we, yeah. we need education. And, and, uh, and, and there, are, I mean, there are tons of sources uh, uh, now that we have technology for, uh, for Indeed. that Indeed. Kind of Indeed, Reverend Bean, uh, let me just tell people that uh, encourage them to go to fatherhollywood.blogspot.com and also to uh, read some of your articles at Lou Rockwell uh, for some of that education that you're talking about. And also, of course, the Mises Institute. Jeff, with just a minute left, you had some encouraging words at the end of your uh, article, your brief article on economic hedonism. Could you just pass those along with us uh, to our listeners for the last minute or so we have left here? Well, the number one gatekeeper in society or modern society has always been the media, and the media has always been largely state-controlled, and that, that, that gatekeeper is breaking down. I mean, that digital 
platforms do give us a new way to communicate across borders uh, to each other, and I think that the, the cost of producing one's thoughts has never been cheaper. So uh, it, it almost puzzles me sometimes the way states have allowed the Internet to go as far as it's gone uh, in some ways. The fact that we're still relatively free uh, to speak our minds, at least in the U.S., um, at, at, at very little uh, cost online. So I think that that's something that, you know, that, that we all have to take great hope in, that information has never been cheaper, it's never flowed better, and we all know that ultimately the, the best idea, the idea that ought to win, is, is liberty. And, and so it's up to us to make sure that that happens. And that's why you go to uh, Mises.org and, uh, and also follow up with Father Hollywood's, uh, Father Hollywood, <laughs> Reverend Bean's uh, Father Hollywood blogspot.com and uh, also his articles at Lou Rockwell. Thanks, uh, both of you, for being with us today. It's really been a pleasure, and uh, I hope we can do it again sometime in the not-too-distant future. Folks, uh, that is all the time we have for today. Next week, uh, John Rubino will be with me, and uh, also Quentin Henning, the CEO of one of my favorite Gold Exploration Companies will be with me as well. So uh, until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Trimetals Mining is a growth-focused mineral exploration company creating value through the exploration and development of its 100% owned near-surface Gold Springs Gold Silver Project in mining-friendly Nevada and Utah. Trimetals has only drilled less than 10% of the gold targets at Gold Springs and it already has a robust preliminary economic assessment. Trimetals believes there is a significant potential to increase the gold mineral resource through further drilling. Trimetals shares are listed on the OTCQX and the TSX under symbols TMIAF and TMI respectively. Coral Gold is an experienced precious metals explorer. Coral recently sold its flagship Robertson Gold property in Crescent Valley, Nevada to Barrick for $20 million and a royalty that increases with the price of gold. Coral is now refining its vision and focus for gold exploration in Nevada with over $20 million in cash, a favorable share structure, and three gold properties in the Crescent Valley region near Barracks Cortez Pipeline Operation. Coral is well-positioned to pursue a number of growth opportunities now under consideration by management. Coral trades as CLH on the TSX Venture Exchange.